Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. Hi there, Jeffrey. Hi, Squirrel. So this week, we're, we were just uh, in very reflective mood because after, I think we calculated it was two and a half years worth of writing, <laughs> we have now, and writing and editing and, and illustrating and who knows what else, or promoting, we're finally getting a book out. Uh, yes. Next week. Next week, after listeners listen to this, they have one week before the Agile Conversations hits, hits well, not shelves, but uh, whatever Amazon has, warehouses. Yeah, the ebooks will be available for download on the 12th. So this is our last episode um, before uh, the book is available for people to purchase and begin reading. And, I'm, and I, I should say there are physical books too, but um, yes. not, not too many people are going to bookstores these days. So I suspect they'll be ordering both ebooks and physical books from Amazon. That's right. Similar places, not to priv privilege Amazon. Yes. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, you said yeah. it's been. Uh, two and a half years. And in fact, we had started on the book before we started the podcast. Yes. <laughs> which is hard to believe. That's how the, the title of the podcast came to be. That's right. Because there was a time when it was going to be Troubleshooting Agile was the book instead of Agile Conversations. That is right. We'll tell that story. So we, we thought we'd just kind of tell the story of uh, how the book came to be. And um, uh, along the way, listeners will hear uh, what uh, motivated us to write the book, what they might get from the book, um, and tie together some of the themes that we talk about a lot on this podcast. That's right. And I think you you can start us off because the, the story of the book actually begins with, with you, Squirrel. So. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, back in 2007 or 8, I was sort of coming to terms with the fact that I was a CTO. That was a new experience for me. It had been... Uh, six or seven years in a very small company, and we'd been growing steadily, um, even despite the financial crisis of that year. And I was starting to think more reflectively about what I was doing. I wasn't hacking code together at midnight quite so frequently, so I had a little more time to think, and the, the team was larger. And I remember adopting some agile practices, and I did it in about the worst way you can imagine. So um, oh, really? I showed up, <laughs> showed up one day and said, hey, we're doing this stuff. And I remember um, the, the managing director, the, one of the founders of the company, coming to me one day and saying, you know, I'm not quite sure how we became like a, a, a bastion of agile techniques. I, I never asked you to adopt agile techniques. I, I said, <laughs> write more software and have fewer bugs. And uh, I, I didn't do a very good job of responding to that, I recall. He, he also said, um, you, you know, this pairing we're doing, it, it, it does seem a little inefficient. Why, why don't we stop that? And we'll get twice as much done. What do you think? <laughs> I didn't, didn't respond very well to that either. So right. I remember some very painful conversations that um, I really didn't know how to handle. They were outside my comfort zone, for sure. They were definitely uh, difficult and agile conversations. Uh, and then in 2009, uh, when we'll link to this in the show notes, because I managed to find it way back in, in, in the Twitter, the, the bowels of Twitter somewhere, um, I had a debate with someone. It's kind of a useless debate uh, with someone else. And then um, another guy who I'd never heard of before, just found him on Twitter, butted in. And he had all kinds of interesting things to say, like that punishing people for breaking the build was um, probably counterproductive. And I thought that was pretty strange because we, we had joke punishments that if you broke the build, you, you got in, in trouble and silly things happened. And I thought that was a great way to reinforce things. But he really thought differently. And this was Benjamin Mitchell, 
who brought us some of the ideas of action science that we talk about here, the idea that it would be good to be transparent and curious and um, the, the ladder of inference or TDD for people and, and other techniques that we talk about a lot. And uh, he, he brought me a lot of these ideas, and I thought that was so fascinating. We hired him as a consultant. I remember I didn't quite know what we were going to do with him. So I just said, <laughs> I got money from, from the same managing director who said, okay, this is another of your weird ideas, Squirrel. Okay. Some of them have worked out. Okay, you can try this one. And um, I brought him in. He said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> so uh, we looked at each other for a while and then figured out a few things to do that have, have since become part of my consulting practice for sure. But um, they were very early versions and uh, started to learn about uh, these techniques and the ideas of Chris Argyris and um, how... You could actually apply um, the, the, the methods by in investigating your own conversations. And, and that's what forms, for example, chapter two of Agile Conversations is a description of a re refined method and, and much better thought out than, than I had then. But uh, I, I started doing those conversational analyses that let me learn from conversations like the painful one I had with the managing director. And at that point, that's when you enter the story, Jeffrey, because I, I brought Benjamin along to the conference you run, along with your friend PJ. And uh, <laughs> uh, that, that was, I think, an eye-opening experience for you, if I remember right. Yeah, it was very interesting. It was um, it was KitCon 2011, I remember, in, in London. Uh, that was an interesting year. It was it was our second consecutive year in London, which we've we've never done before and since, the, the KitCon two years in a row in the same city. Uh, but I had just joined Tim and I was in the middle of moving from California to London and I really didn't have the brain power to, to figure out uh, uh, hosting and everything like that and organize conference organization. So we just said, well, can we do it in the same place? And we were at the uh, wonderful Skills Matter um, office uh, and, uh, for a second year. And so I was excited about joining um, Tim. I was excited about moving to London and I was very excited to be at KitCon uh, in Europe. Uh, with this um, a bunch of people who I knew, and including yourself, of course, and you and I had known each other since the first KitCon in London in 2006. And so when when you showed up uh, with this uh, person, Benjamin, uh, I was very interested to meet him. Um, I remember talking to him, and the, the line that sticks with me from that first meeting was um, Benjamin saying something along the lines of, you know, you're very strong in advocacy, but I'm not hearing a lot of inquiry. <laughs> so... Um, which I, which really stuck with me. Uh, uh, on the one hand, that you're very strong at advocacy was was praise uh, in some extent, um, but it was, it was also saying you know you're also not listening. <laughs> and and it's funny because I, I look back at that, and um, it's the kind of thing that I uh, have since uh, tried to help other people with who are often rise to leadership positions. And I think this has happened for me in part because. Uh, I could be articulate and make a strong, compelling case for why doing something was a good thing to do. And I could uh, appeal uh, to people's interests and say, for example, around something like Agile uh, to align the story with their interest. But it was, uh, but it was very much the case where I was, uh, I, I started the conversation with the end in mind because I, I thought I had good ideas that you know people would benefit from. <laughs> which was my approach when I'm talking to the managing director. Well, of course, this pairing stuff is great. Look at all the benefits. It's wonderful. No inquiry about why that was troubling for him. That's right. So we didn't have a, a, a hugely extensive conversation there in um, 
November of 2011, but it did stick with me that this was something um, that made me feel like there was a, a skill that I was uh, lacking and that I would be, be good to gain. Um, but I didn't really know a good way to do that at the time. So it was kind of went on the on the back burner for me. And it, and it wasn't until, uh, you know, you had an idea um, the next year that really uh, took us forward, which is you, pro you proposed a, a study group. Indeed. So uh, Benjamin and Jeffrey and I and one other person, Wasim, uh, who um, I'd, I'd all worked with or encountered, got together. I think it was every couple weeks we planned it, or maybe every month. I think it was every two weeks, at least at first. And we uh, we tried doing conversational analyses. That was the main thing we did. And we'd all encountered Benjamin. We'd all found the ideas interesting, but hadn't really studied them, hadn't really um, got deeply into them or really applied them. And it was that repeated practice that um, got us really at the skill level that we are today. Uh, at least that's true for me, uh, because by regularly applying a a kind of fearless lens to our conversations, did, did we learn things? For example, I had one where, uh, and speaking of advocacy and inquiry, I, I came into a conversation thinking, well, I'm just going to tell this person what, what they did wrong. And then once they realize that they've done it wrong, they'll do it differently. And the person halfway through the conversation turned to me and said, Squirrel, can I be honest? I said, oh, here it comes. <laughs> and it turned out right. that I had created the situation and told him to do the thing that he was doing that was quote unquote wrong. So I remember right. bringing that conversation and an analysis of it to the study group and learning a ton from doing that. It was, it was um, as you say, Jeffrey, the learning was horrible, but yeah. um, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I had more tools for the next time that happened, which was very helpful. And, and we did this for several years, really religiously. Every uh, every few weeks, we would get together, and somebody would bring a, a, a case, a conversational analysis, the kind we talk about it in the book. And that was the the um, uh, the, the birth of the four R's, for example. That was um, that we we gave it a name later, but it was where we we're doing the um, re re recording, reflection, uh, revision, and role play. And that's right. We were role playing in the group, and that, that was. Uh, hugely helpful, as you say. I think the the um, it, it was, as you say, also a, in a sense, a horrible experience, a strongly learning experience. We, we say for people who haven't heard this before, you know, we're, there's a bit of jargon in this, which is learning is the detection and correction of error. And oh boy, did I have a lot of errors. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the your you remember your your can be honest story. My, my equivalent. I think there's a couple things that come to mind, but. One that sticks with me the most was showing up one night with a case, and we would rotate whose case we were doing. Um, so you knew in advance, uh, uh, at, at least some of the cases we would, and sometimes we'd say, all right, we're going to do Jeff next time. Um, and I remember bringing mine, and I was a bit disappointed, and I said, well, and this is really the only conversation I could think of, and, and I think it went pretty well, so I don't think we're going to get much out of it. And, oh. it, and then... Yeah, 45 minutes, an hour later, we're still picking it apart. And I was thinking, oh, I was so, so wrong. <laughs> I, was, mm -hmm. I was so wrong. Um, and, it, and it was, it, and I think for me, that was the moment where I really internalized how difficult it was to judge this, uh, my own performance in real time. It, it, it really required, you know, doing the work, laying it out on paper and then taking a critical eye to it. As soon as I had, you know, had done that with a group, I, I had created the case, but I hadn't really analyzed it until we were all together and um, seen it on paper. 
it suddenly it was like, wow, this is a different person. What's this person doing? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and that's, that was really what drove from, for me, that my subjective experience in the conversation was really a, a terrible guide to uh, how good my performance was relative to the values I was trying to espouse. And uh, I know for me, when, when we when we wrote the book, especially in the conclusion, we talk about how to keep learning and, and we try to advocate for people to form a study group. It was really this experience um, with yourself and Benjamin Wasim that was um, really the, the strongest motivation for me. Absolutely. Um, and, and then that's actually something that I took forward later in, in, for me in, in, into, into Tim was I ended up introducing this. Um, we should say material. for new listeners, Tim, Tim is a company where, and it's the one where I had the conversation with the, the founder in which uh, Jeffrey later joined. Right. And where I'm, and I'm still there today. Um, uh, so uh, uh, Tim and Accurate's company, we uh, introduced, uh, I remember first, the way we introduced this more broadly was uh, we, at the time we had a management study group that would once a month read some article. And uh, when we read the article, we'd say, ask the question of, it, um, you know, do we, do we agree what it means? And then, uh, if we thought, if we believed it was true, what would we do? And finally the question is, well, what are we actually going to do? <laughs> and we introduced the, um, paper by Roger Schwartz, uh, which at the time was called ground rules for effective teams. And I think now the title is eight behaviors for smarter teams, but it's the same paper and it lays out these eight behaviors, um, for effective teams. And we, we read that as a management group and said, you know, actually, yeah, we think this is very useful and could help us be a better department. So up till now, I had really thought about this for myself as an individual and it was a, a personal skill and now introduce it and the, um, uh, management team in technology decided that it was, and uh, product development. So this is something we could use more generally. And so we, we, um, shared that white paper then with everyone in the team and had discussions about how we were going to try to collaborate better using these principles, things like joint design. Um, so that if, if someone had a good idea rather than coming in as you and I, as Squirrel may have done in the past and try to just convince people and, and advocate for it, we, we could actually have a discussion of, did we see the same problems? You know, what kind of trade-offs did we value? And then, you know, could we, uh, design a path together? And, um, and, and that really, uh, took off and, and became very effective within, uh, the department. We will link to that, uh, eight behaviors, uh, light paper in the show notes. And meantime, I had left Tim. So I was wandering off working in different companies. I eventually became a consultant and worked very tactically in lots of companies and uh, applied a lot of this knowledge and, and trained people in bits of it. But Jeffrey, you, you took it even further within Tim group and, and elsewhere. What, what happened then? Yeah, well, I think um, it was you, you and I were were still in touch uh, quite regularly in this time period and talking about the skills and how to use them in different places. And I eventually got inspired that I wanted to um, uh, have more of this um, small group discussion. And so I started a meetup, which originally um, was called the Action Science Meetup, um, because that's where all this theory from Chris Argerus comes from. Uh, his label for it was Action Science. And, Terrible uh, label. If you want to get people to adopt their <laughs> ideas, got come up with something more meaningful. For me, the name isn't isn't terrible in, in conversation, but as a as a label, it's not very helpful for people. I remember it doesn't tell you much. Yeah, one of the one of the people who um, came to the meetup uh, um, said and, and, and liked the material. He said the problem with the name is that action science sounds a lot cooler than it really is. <laughs> yep. Um, so that, that meetup is now still exists, but it's called the London organizational learning meetup. 
in part because I'm now looking more at trying to advertise more about what the ends are, which is to have a learning organization rather than the means, uh, which was action science. And we've uh, expanded what we review there to other things like nonviolent communication or the leap method and um, various other techniques um, and, and, and things that we can do. But we, we do have as our core um, the four R's you mentioned earlier. We, so we'll take different frameworks and say, how can we apply them to our conversations uh, and our interactions to have a, build a, an organization uh, that really embodies learning uh, with the idea that, um, uh, that learning is the key attribute of a, of a company, uh, the ability of a company to um, thrive and in different environments is the function of how quickly it can learn. And um, so at the same time this was happening, I also... Uh, at this point, I was part of the team executive team. I was CTO and and said made essentially the same case. You know, our our business is changing a lot, um, and we should be collaborating better. We should look if we can um, uh, change the principles by which the company as a whole operates. And uh, we if we said at the same time, if we want the company to behave differently, it's going to have to start here in the executive team. We are going to have to adopt these eight behaviors if we want the rest of the company to do so. And so we started that in about the middle of 2015, the executive team, we reviewed the eight behaviors, we did some training together, and then uh, started using them ourselves. Uh, and then um, w we could see how much that was helpful for ourselves, for the conversation now uh, to make decisions about how to run the company. Um, and then from there, uh, later then uh, publicized it to the rest of the company and trained the rest of the company in, on this. And I've, I've been very happy then it really um, lived up to this sort of organizational learning to, to, to be able to roll this out to a whole company. And, and it's really interesting. People will talk about the, the differences in language that they hear within the company that having internalized this. And uh, many people who leave say that what they definitely want to do is take these eight behaviors with them to other companies. And people who've left say uh, how much they uh, miss them and, and want to try to uh, spread them more. And so that was, um, I think for me, a lot of the motivation, having had this success and seeing how we could really dramatically change the culture to say, you know, how else could this uh, happen? How could we help make this happen? And I, I think you and I were, were then uh, talking uh, more about that, about how we could do this more widely. And that was when we started searching for a publisher. We didn't have any idea how a business book might get published, but uh, I had heard that it was a good idea <laughs> if you were a consultant to have a book. And um, this was the most obvious um, area that we could really contribute in between you and I, and, and we'd both seen the value of this as I'd been using it tactically and you've been using it strategically. We'd seen it over and over again, make huge changes for organizations. It was um, a massive value that we could share. And I think your experience at this time period was really interesting because on the one hand, I, we, we had we had very complementary experiences because mm. I was in a position as an executive sort of making it, you know, officially this is what we're doing and could be there for a long time and, and, and make systemic change. You could go in and make radical impacts in, at companies and very uh, quickly. Um, and then get out, <laughs> which and is my out. modus operandi as a consultant. <laughs> get in, do my thing and get out. So I got a very broad experience of many different companies, uh, yeah. which uh, which added. So you had very deep experience at one, and and of course many before that in your previous lives. But um, uh, I had uh, um, kind of experimental 
petri dishes to to try things in. <laughs> and I think what's what's I think for a lot of I mean, so hopefully some of our listeners and um, uh, will will be in a position where they're executives or leaders of some sort and can introduce it. But I think it's really, in a sense, your experience should be heartening for a lot of people that you could be the only person um, who's aware of these techniques, and yet uh, still they were valuable. I think that's Indeed. a really important um, uh, message for people that if, even if you're the only one in the organization who's learned it, you can still use it very effectively. And that certainly can work. And it doesn't necessarily need to take as long as we, if listeners are following along carefully with the timeline, you're, you'll notice that uh, from the time I first heard about it to um, when we were starting to write the book is eight years. It does not necessarily <laughs> take eight years <laughs> to get, uh, get skilled. You, you can do it faster than, than, than we did. Um, the good news is uh, there, there's a lot of things you can do to accelerate. You don't have to make the mistakes we made. But it was in uh, 2017 that we got introduced to uh, a publisher, and that publisher suggested that our title should be Troubleshooting Agile because publishers often start with what people want to buy more than <laughs> uh, what you want to write. And uh, my preferred title at the time was Sprinting in Place, which I still think is, uh, is a great title. Maybe I'll reuse that for something else. <laughs> And I think we may have even um, sub, uh, shared a, 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 the first draft chapter with people at KitCon uh, with that title. I think we might have done. That sounds, that sounds about right. And that's, of course, when we started this podcast that you're listening to right now, which is called Troubleshooting Agile, because our thought was that if we had a, a greater platform, we would be more attractive to publishers. And um, we had already been talking, you and I, Jeffrey, every couple of weeks for, for years and years. And mm -hmm. um, it's very natural just to uh, turn on a recorder. So uh, we... Uh, did episode one back in 2017. You you were writing a, a very early version of Sprinting in Place then, and uh, you know, we got a lot of material kind of written down. I think to say I was writing a book at that point would be uh, overstating it. I was inspired by um, a book uh, by Gerald Weinberg um, where he talks about writing, uh, and he talks about something called the Fieldstone Method. So I, I did write about 34,000 words, <laughs> but um, I don't think any of them, I'm not sure very many of them made it into the book, but they were, I, but it was collecting little stories and vignettes, the things that we want to incorporate. And I think for me, the podcast has been very helpful because it um, has allowed us to, to, to talk through and think through ideas. And I know there were times where I might be stuck writing uh, a chapter. And, and so I would suggest it as the podcast topic of the week <laughs> so that yep. after, after we talked about it, I knew what I could go write. Exactly, because we didn't know what, what it was until we, until we talked about it. That was a very yes. effective method. There was one reason I remember, I don't know if I ever told you this, but one reason, I think we did talk about it at the very beginning. I said, Jeffrey, we really should be writing stuff, but it seems like that's tough. It seems like we can talk about it, so maybe we should just talk about it. And, and right. then we could, I actually had the vision that we might actually make a, a transcripts of our, of our talking, then that would turn into the, the book. Right. It's not right. how we wrote it, but um, that was my an initial thought that I had. Yeah, and now three years later, we're actually starting to create transcripts on our website. I don't know if our listeners may have noticed that we are um, begin to uh, have, have started creating transcripts for some of the um, recent uh, episodes. I don't know how many that the backlog will do, but we'll at least get some of them out there. That's the idea. We have a very talented um, person who's uh, doing all the transcribing for us. One thing that's been very helpful for me about about the the, the podcast and uh, in, in late in the book is that one of the ideas in the podcast has been this idea of troubleshooting and the idea that people are, are they um, they have symptoms and they're looking for a solution to those uh, symptoms. They, you know, they're not, they're not, they cannot sure what the core 
problem is. They, they only know and, the and they're certainly not seeking to improve their conversations necessarily. They're not waking up in the morning thinking, gosh, what I really need to do is have a better conversation today. They think, my God, we're late again. Yeah, that's right. What, what, why, why aren't things better in some yeah. definition of better? Uh, why is this taking so long? Why is this so painful? Um, and, and then, um, then to be able to talk through the connection from, you know, you're, you're seeing the symptom and here's what we've seen as possible causes. And then here's how the conversations that you would need to go start addressing them. Um, because unless it's something where it's something you're doing by yourself, it's probably going to require a conversation. Indeed. And that's what the rest of the book does, of course, is to take uh, different symptoms and problems and, and to tie them to conversations like trust and fear and commitment and accountability and um, describe to you how you can use those techniques to solve the problem that you see. Right. But that connection wasn't clear. It was I remember um, very clearly that uh, we were having a conversation with the publisher and Jeffrey, you were on the bus, I remember. So yeah. you, for, for whatever reason, you were delayed. And I just remember yes. hearing the bus uh, kind of, you know, starting up and, and making its nice bus noises and the announcements and so on. And you know, we, could, we were making out every fifth word or something from you because the coverage wasn't great. But we were discussing what we should call the book and how we should bring it together. We, we had thought of another book called Difficult Conversations, and we were trying to figure out how to propose that book. And uh, then you said, well, gosh, we should just write one book and it should be called Agile Conversations. And now I have to get off the bus. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I said, that sounds great. And that was the proposal that actually got accepted. Oh, that's right. I forgot we were at that time we were we were discussing already writing a second book before we'd finished yes. the first. And then ambition is not a bad thing. That's right. Let's bring these two together. I think it's probably around the same time that then the structure of the book came together in the, the kind of the five conversations format. And that mm -hmm. was your uh, inspiration in, in part because of your your anger. <laughs> yeah, I've told this story before. I won't bore listeners, but the, the brief version is that uh, I read Five Dysfunctions of a Team many years before, and I, I was eagerly waiting for the part where Lencioni was going to tell me what to do. It's like, oh yeah, this is a dysfunction. This is a dysfunction. These things are broken. Great. And what am I going to do? And there was nothing. <laughs> I threw the book across the room. I wanted my money back. Right. But, uh, but then we went through, and our five aren't quite exactly the same as the five dysfunctions, but they're closely related. And um, uh, the the thesis of the book was we can tell people what they can do about each of these problems. They they probably know they have these problems. They don't know how they're linked to the the, the burning issues of the day that that are keeping them up at night. Uh, but we can make that link for them. We can tell them uh, practical things they can do. That, that's when uh, frantic writing commenced. We, we switched publishers to IT Revolution, who's now our publisher. And um, uh, they said, oh, yeah, maybe we'll publish it uh, in 2021. We said, oh, we think we can get it ready for you by July. And they said, yeah. well, <laughs> give it a try. And we, we did make it. Yeah, that's right. We did. So that was uh, last year. This time last year, we were, we were frantically uh, writing and, um, and, and making good progress. And um, you would think, uh, I would have thought that, um, you know, that the hard part was, was done at getting that first draft. I'd, I'd be no, fair, no. That, that, that was pretty hard. <laughs> yes, it was. But, but I think it's, it's fair to say that there was uh, still a lot of work uh, to do from that point as we went through the various um, uh, stages of editing, the developmental edit, and um, I'm trying to think of now the three stages, um, copy editing and proofreading and so. Yes. A, a lot of work and a lot of help from IT Revolution to get to this point, and um, and now we're just oh man, we're we're so close. It's less than two weeks away. Yeah, um, I keep telling people, yeah, you can read the book in in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, here's this technique. I'll tell you about it, but soon you can read chapter four. That's right. 
and uh, and and hopefully people will um, get as uh, as much value out of uh, the, these techniques as you and I have gotten over the years. And that's really would would, would love to see. That's the hope that I have. Um, I, one of our advanced readers who's on uh, the conversational transformation Slack channel, and uh, people can. Uh, join us there if they're interested in hearing more. And also if they'd like to discuss the podcast, there's now a podcast channel uh, on that Slack instance. Uh, he reminded me that the last time he and I spoke in person about four or five years ago, uh, we were in London uh, and, uh, and by near St. Paul's by the by the Thames. And and I was excited saying like, these are really important. More people should know about this. <laughs> it would make a big difference. It would really help people. And he reminded me of that conversation as he was reading the advanced copy. And I'm like, oh, right. I do remember that conversation. And I'm very excited, Daddy, that we're almost there. <laughs> In just a matter of days, people will be able to go and get their copy of the book and hopefully begin solving some of these problems that they've um, been having. Well, that's certainly what we'd like to have happen. So if listeners would like to hear more about that then, uh, and, and learn more about the book, you can do that at conversationaltransformation.com. And we're looking forward to having it out to you and uh, getting lots of questions from you and discussion about it. As Jeffrey mentioned, we have a Slack instance and we have advanced readers and other folks like that. If you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, just have a look at the website or get in touch with us. You'll find uh, email, Twitter, all those kinds of good things. Uh, I hope this history of writing the book has been helpful. Maybe if you're thinking of writing a book, this is uh, proof that it can be done. It doesn't have to take eight years. You probably could <laughs> do it faster and learn a few things from things we didn't do along the way. And we also, of course, hope that the book is uh, helpful to as many people as possible. We're trying to spread the word about how you can troubleshoot Agile by having better conversations. And uh, of course, we're, we're going to continue coming every week. Don't be surprised if we talk a fair amount about the book over the next few weeks, because we're interested in promoting it, spreading the word, getting lots of people talking about it. So uh, Jeffrey, we've talked about going through some of the chapters and discussing the ideas, so more practical uh, topics coming. And if you don't want to miss any of those things, then hit the subscribe button or whatever it is that you use to make sure that you know that uh, pretty much every week, every Wednesday, there's going to be a new podcast from Jeffrey and me, and we'll be talking more about troubleshooting Agile, Agile conversations, and whatever else comes our way. Excellent. Thanks, Jeffrey. Thanks, Carl.